This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast discussing Ipswich Town up or down since 2015. I'm Richard Woodard, and you're tuning into our first ever ITFC Book Club podcast, live, focusing on Paul Mariner and um, autobiography. My oh, the spine. Story. Joe's showing the spine there, Joe's got his copy, um, and joining us, the author behind the book, making a fashionably late entrance, Mark Donaldson. <laughs> <laughs> got me nervous, Mark. I was panicking. Oh, yeah. Great to see you. Timekeeping has never been my uh, my strong point. So three o three Eastern time, uh, I did. It was eight p.m. when I logged in, but there's a three minute uh, delay due to the transatlantic activity of various internet uh, isms. Yeah, the go- the golf stream or something like that. We'll we'll blame that. It's great yes. to see you. Great to have you with us. Thanks. We are going out live um, to our um, our YouTube subscribers, our Facebook and Twitter followers. Um, we are yeah. This is the first one of these, um, and we did a great chat with you before the book came out, and you were really generous in in explaining all the situation with writing it and the process, um, but also sharing some of those great stories. But as you can see, we're joined by Joe Fairs and Dave Dimer from our podcast team. We've all read the book, as we hope many of the folk watching and listening have done as well. And we're just going to talk through it. We're going to give our reactions, our observations. And ask you our questions, Marco. That's all right. Yeah, um, and you three were on time, so uh, I'm playing catch. But my apologies once again. That's okay. No problem at all. Um, if you, um, as I said, we are live, so we want to hear from you in the comments. If you've read the book, if you've got any observations, any questions for Mark or anything like that, um, put them in the chat, and we'll um, put them to Mark, and maybe we'll answer or respond to them ourselves. Then we've got people in Brisbane. Um, good to have you with us, Michael. <laughs> oh, and we've got Romeo back, who's liking the shirt, Joe. So, yeah, keep the comments coming, um, and um, we'll definitely use as many of those as we can. Um, first off, though, Mark, we um, 
we obviously spoke to you in advance of the book going on sale. Um, sure. How's the reaction been post um, the book going out and the reaction particularly from Ipswich supporters like, like us three? Really good, really good. And, and it was really nice to meet you at, at Portman Road. And a lot of the people that, that kind of came and got the book signed were doing so for either their dad um, or it was it was being kind of given to, to sons or daughters. So it's been really well received uh, both over here, um, obviously Paul at ESPN and New England Revolution and, and Arizona and wherever else he decided to play just because he couldn't hang up his boots, San Jose and Albany, New York. Yeah, really, really nice. Um, and hopefully it's been well received as well uh, at Portman Road and by the Ipswich Town um, supporters. Not by the manager, because it wasn't long after the Rotherham game that he, he got the tin tack. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, uh, we, we exchanged messages after the Rotherham game. Well, that was a pretty low ebb for oh. our season. But um, yeah, I mean, Ooh. interesting times now. Um, Joe, Dave, I mean, Dave, um, I, I don't want to put Dave on the spot, um, but of um, Joe and I are a little bit of a younger vintage. Dave was fortunate enough to see the great man in a the blue and white Dave. So what's your, did, what your reaction been? Incredibly fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a, as a long-term fan of the older genre, so to speak, absolutely love the book and love hearing stories that I'd never obviously heard before. I think, Rich, I mentioned to you on Sunday that I was fortunate enough to be at that West Brom game, the first home game where he scores mm. the great goal. And also was at his last game, the home game against, um, against Coventry, which was almost out with the old when Paul left. And then it was Jason Dizel's if you remember 15-year-old sort of debut where he scores the goal while he's still at, whilst he's still at school. So, yeah, nothing but fond memories of, um, of Paul and, and the book just stirred up, stirred up more and some new, and some new, like I said, anecdotes and stories that I'd certainly never heard before. Brilliant. Absolutely. It's fantastic. And Joe, someone like me who knows of who, who Mariner is and but possibly just can't maybe understand where his places in Ipswich Town history apart from he's in the great team from 8081 what was your what was your reflections yes it's similar to when I read the sort of Arnold Muir and a Franz Tyson book it's almost it's hard to believe how big Ipswich were and the sort of the players that were coming here and when they were going and just just how big a club and how big a deal we were at the time effectively and it was just (laughs) so great to sort of see Ipswich and almost it seemed to put Ipswich as a town on the map as well when you look at the bands that were obviously coming to the region and the corn exchange and the st matthew's baths is that right dave i don't know that was even before uh, the lead step was at st matthew's baths that was even before my time joe but it's almost like the the football team and obviously paul being a massive part of that brought the whole town up with it as well and brought brought so much to the town as well not just the football side of it i mean from my point of view sorry i was going to say one of the interesting things when we spoke to the people uh or when i spoke to the people i was dealing with they were saying that they hadn't heard of Ipswich up until Paul and all that played there. Like Jürgen Klinsmann was the last person I spoke to, and he knew about Ipswich, as did so many other of the famous people that I was lucky enough to speak to about Paul. They wouldn't have known about Ipswich without Paul's team that, that he was in. So it really did put Portman Road to the football club and the players on the map in a, both the European and, and the world stage. And and the you know you're about we were talking about the gigs there in Ipswich, you know in Ipswich venues and stuff like that. That wouldn't happen without Paul Mariner potentially and his links to the guys in Deep Purple and all that kind of stuff. And there's definitely I mean we we had a, a bit of an experience of that in 2000 2001 when Ipswich got promoted and in, into the Premier League. And there's there there is a tension from beyond 
the region on on the area when that happens and sadly it was just too short-lived but it just felt like reading through the book it was just relentless night after night you know weekend <laughs> after weekend it was brilliant yeah, i just wonder uh, if van morrison ever went back <laughs> to uh, to the gomont after mariner I, and um and, and gillen got chucked out but i still can't believe they turned up to a van morrison gig and it was apparently half empty <laughs> that sounds very interesting, though, doesn't it? He probably yeah, told maybe it half the crowd to bugger off before it started. Well, probably. Like I, I honestly think, I, I don't think growing up through that and seeing that, I don't think we just estimate just how big a signing Paul Mariner was at the time. Because Ipswich just didn't sign players for, okay, it was, an, a, again, a, a swap deal with, with John Penalty, um, John Penalty and Terry Austin. But Ipswich didn't sign players for 200,000. So at the time, absolutely massive signing. And, you know, obviously we all knew that West Ham and West Brom were in for him. And I can remember back to when he signed, but you always think, oh, they're in for him. We're just not going to get him. But, you know, obviously, uh, obviously we did. And, um, yeah, grateful for it. It was yeah, how close he actually came to, to, to joining um, West Ham. I mean, Ron Greenwood had moved upstairs and he, was, he left, um, he left the, 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 the stadium, uh, home park that night, thinking that deal was done. And it wasn't until Bobby Robson got involved. And you, you, think of the, you think of how far Bobby Robson went over and above to try. I mean, normally you would send your scout or, or whatever, but... Bobby's Ipswich team were playing in Bristol, so he drove from Bristol as the team went back so he could go for dinner with Paul and put the case for Ipswich Town on the table. And, and although Paul liked that, it was pretty much back then not the player power like that you have now. It was pretty much the club saying, OK, you're going to go to here or you're going to go there. And on that Saturday night, Paul was a West Ham player. Ipswich were not signing him until Bobby got involved. So what a yep. sliding doors moment in the history of the club. Yeah, right. Oh, just, yeah. just incredible. Although I don't think, again, you can underestimate at the time, Ipswich were a, 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 a league status. West Ham OK won the cup a sort of season or so before <laughs> beating Ipswich in the semi-final. But, you know, um, I don't think you can underestimate just, you know, Ipswich were a bigger club in league, in league status <laughs> at that point. Bigger than West Ham, bigger than certainly bigger than West Brom at the time for three or four seasons, seasons prior to that. So I guess he could see he was joining something that was only you know, going to gain momentum. I guess there wasn't, even though we were the bigger team, there wasn't the money then to sort of no. blow these teams out of the water. It was like, no. we can offer you the same as them. And if you hope, please come to us really, wasn't it? And obviously that personal touch from Bobby Robson going down there is what got the deal over the line. And maybe Ron Greenwood not being the man in charge anymore and trying to still have a foot in each camp just wasn't able to get it done. Uh, and Still a gamble though, Rich, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Oh. And, and, and I mean, Still at quite a young age, and 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 the division below, two divisions below, division two wasn't Plymouth, yeah, I think. <coughs> I mean, I, I, can, I can also remember the 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 fallout sort of from the supporters locally when David Johnson left. Okay, not yeah. you know the summer before. I mean, it was well, you know, outstanding, outstanding play. You know, went played for England as as Paul did. You know, under under Robson at Ipswich, and I can remember the fallout following that and think, my goodness me, you know, where do we go from here? And then of course. Um, yeah, um, out of, almost out of nowhere. But he'd obviously been making a, a big name for himself down at Plymouth with obviously with Bill Rafferty up front as a front two. And um, yeah, almost out of nowhere, here he, here he comes along. 20, yeah, quite. A, you're right, quite a gamble for Ipswich. But it's quite a rise yeah. for Paul as well, really, wasn't it? In that he started, yeah. he hadn't been at Plymouth that many years before he was at Ipswich. Really. It was no. sort, of, sort of from three years from playing in the 
Northwest Counties League almost to play in the first division, really, isn't it? And one of my sort of FA Cup favorite, showed that. Yeah, well, the FA Cup journey had a League Cup journey as well at um, at Plymouth because yes. they played Man City in an FA Cup semi final as well, and then Arsenal another FA Cup tie, but they lost to York City when Keith Houchin scored. But I mean, we because of the the publisher um, Reach is owned by the the Daily Mirror um, company. We obviously had a piece in the Sunday Mirror about this, and, and the journalist was saying, look, I'm, I'm a tabloid journalist. Have you got any tabloid details? And I said, look, okay, I'm going to ham this up. Because when I spoke to, uh, what was it, Graham Hamley I spoke to? Who was the club secretary at Plymouth? I think it was him. And I said to him, so can I put two and two together and say if it hadn't been for the money that Plymouth got for Pele playing for Santos against Plymouth, <laughs> the extra crowd that was there, yeah, we probably earned about. Uh, we probably I said so. Wait a minute here. So Pele helped Paul Manon or something. Yeah, I suppose so. I give this to the Sunday Mirror. <laughs> Pele had it not been story. for Pele. Yeah. So it's, it's things like that. And then even at Plymouth, uh, sorry, when he left Plymouth to, to come up to Ipswich, Mick Mills was the one that kind of he he admitted it's, it's in the book. And when I spoke to him, he goes, "I said to the gaffer, I said to Bobby, I think you've made a mistake here. This is a gamble. You don't normally take gambles." Because I think we worked out, Bobby only signed 13 or 14 players in all the years that he was at Ipswich. And he really was a, a kind of, who are you? And that was, a, that was a stereotypical kind of Brian Talbot as he was going out to his first training session saying, who the f*** are you? <laughs> I'll show you who I am. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the great stories. Can we stories swear? If we can't swear. <laughs> Is, we're, yeah, we, we'll, we'll have edit. one. I, I, I'll, I'll the YouTube algorithm. We one, it, no doubt. Can we have one still. each? Is it one each? <laughs> one each. But give us advice. <laughs> it, it, it did take Mick Mills long, didn't it? There's sort of the quote not not too long after that, saying how he realised just the character that he brought to the club. I suppose of all the other players that are coming through the youth system, almost that they, they weren't nice. But they, <laughs> They didn't quite have that edge that Mariner had, and sort of talking about their. I think he compares him to Trevor Weimark, just saying that mm-hmm. Weimark doesn't have the character to lead the line like Mariner did because he was there up in the faces of the centre backs in the tunnel, swearing in their faces, shouting in them, it's and just, just ready to go. And I think maybe, it, well, it did seem like that was a missing piece of the puzzle for the second great team Robson put together in '78. Character is the key word that you used there. Um, sorry, uh, because he had everything to prove when he was coming through the ranks. He was, a, he was a nobody. He'd given up the game because he was playing in midfield, didn't like it, played cricket with Bill Beaumont, and just fallen out of love with the game. And then when he found his love back, he had to work for everything he got. And I just wonder, it's not like it was today, when you come through the ranks at a football club as a youngster and kind of a lot of things are provided for you, Mariner never had that. And he, I'll show him, basically, to Brian Tall. I'll show them that I deserve to be here. That was the way that Paul thought. And he wasn't frightened of anything, whether it was a challenge like he had when he first joined Ipswich or whether it was a battle or a... I mean, he was talking about the West Brom game in his debut. They actually had two decent centre-backs, but because they stood off, and that's why he scored that goal. And I think it was later in that campaign that you played West Brom at Highbury in the, uh, oh, in the semi-final. That was season the FA Cup in 78. Yeah. later, yeah. And... And they hadn't changed that many. I think they got a new manager, no. but they still had. They were, they were a decent enough side. So to beat them by seven, he had this fearless streak, both in life and on the pitch. Paul, he You're was right. um, just very quickly in, in terms of in terms of the, writing the book as well. And he, he, such an interesting character because it was interesting how you how you said or how I don't know whether he told you or, or this was some of the stuff that you did 
um, he did with the in, with the previous kind of author for the book before about um, being put off a little bit by West Ham, but not being in the big city, not wanting yeah. to be in the bright lights, and Ipswich was was not that. But then you flip that to the the rock and roll persona, the kind of fearsome competitor on the pitch. There's a lot of I, I my reflection was a lot of kind of um, inner monologue and, and and thought process that you get with him. And then the outward persona, so very different. Um, I don't know whether that's anything that you kind of came across, Mark, in, in writing the book or when dealing with him as well. It's kind of, it was lots of regrets in there, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. But when he's out there, it's 100%, isn't it? It's guts and glory. He's, it's, it's, said that I, to I, I, yeah. yeah, I said that to him right in the start. And I said the same to, to, to Stevie Nicol when I wrote his book. Um, you're not going to get another chance to write a first book. So I'll decide if it goes in or if it doesn't go in, but don't leave anything out there. It might be uncomfortable. Stevie was Hillsborough and he'd never spoken about it before. Mm. Christ, that was uncomfortable for, for both of us. Um, and I think it's come over in that part of, of the book, of, of Stevie's book, um, just how emotional it was. And, and I said exactly the same to Paul. The only thing we didn't put in there, I mean, he was married twice. Sadly, his um, divorce didn't go through in time before he died. So that was a, we didn't really mention that in the book. And there's a lot of stuff that, that has been mentioned by other people that we could have put in. And I put in, and it's been cut down because I think I submitted 120,000 words, knowing it would be trimmed. But that's not my job to, to trim it. That's the editor's job uh, to, to do it. But he had this kind of streak in that he wasn't frightened to admit his mistakes. But he did it with a, a kind of humor. And I love the fact that he did end up back in London after he signed for Ipswich, but it was at the Chelsea Flower Show because he had to arrange the bus <laughs> to take all the old biddies to go and see some petunias and some daffodils. <laughs> it's crazy. I, 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 it's just like, another sign of giving everything. You sign up for the yeah, sort of village fate and then you have, have to give to everything it. 100% of that as well, yeah, don't you? Exactly but. right. I mean, one, of the, one of the regrets is repeated, actually, um, and I was going to go to Dave and get his kind of a fan perspective on this was his regrets of when he had that serious injury and he went and worked with a doctor in Cambridge for the rehab routine. He said in the book several times that was the fittest he's ever, he'd ever been. Mm. And his regret was that he didn't sustain that. At the time, were you kind of aware of that situation as a no. supporter, Dave? And- no, I really, I really wasn't. Not, not at all. No, no. I mean, if you look consistently throughout his town career, he's playing what, 35 league games most season. I think there was a blip in one season where he played something like 28 or 26, 27, 28. But, you know, considering, you know, most of that time, he led that front line. Okay, early, early, early part of his career, Trevor Weimart there. But if you if you, if you look, you know, cup final, you know, David Geddes, but slightly withdrawn. He was playing up there on his own and taking a fearful bow. I mean, he could, as Mark said in the book, he could take it, but boy, he could give it. He was strong and he was, you know, and... But the interesting part that came out for me was he, he he said a regret in one of the chapters. He said about regret that perhaps a couple of th- couple of years into his into his Ipswich career, he got a bit arrogant. He always had that arrogance on the field because you could just see it exuded it. This is the way he played. His chest was out and he was bullying people. And he, you know, but the interesting bit for me is he said that one of his regrets was that also came about seemingly he felt in his personal life, which is something he he perhaps regretted later on. Mm. But, but again, the difference is there. Was, the difference is there. Of course, then there was just no social media, so no one would really, no one would see it, no one would really pick up on it. I guess. 
just as well, <laughs> whether it's Stevie, whether it's Paul, <laughs> whoever it is. I don't know if we'll get books. I mean, look, not just Paul's book, not just Stevie's book. I don't think we'll get books from players that played in the 70s and the 80s uh, in 20 years' time of players that, that play nowadays because they don't have the story, because you can't do anything. You can't fart no. without someone put, posting well, Not at the very top on level. The, on, on, you might no. have some lower-down players have it, but the, the, <laughs> That's the, the level of players that these were, you, sure. uh-huh. it's just impossible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that make that's going to make your life very difficult, isn't it, Mark? At some point, <laughs> you're having to do I'm that. Done. As, yeah, I'm done. Yeah. I've, I've done four. Um, three of them have been with footballers. Did Gary Mackay, a Hearts player? If you don't know who Gary is, oh, yeah. Gary yeah. was the yeah. He was the Scotland. He scored for Scotland in Bulgaria in a match that meant he hot us because we were rubbish at the time. But it put Republic of Ireland through to their first yeah. ever major tournament in 1988. So the Gary's book, Paul's book, Stevie's book, and a, an expose, um, this one here. I'm not plugging anything, because you can get these for like four <laughs> pence on, on, you can on Amazon. plug wherever you want, Mark. But, That's fine. Yeah, I know. It's, a, it's book club. I'm not asking you to read those. But this was, this was really interesting, because Stephen Presley, who, who he's a friend of mine. He wasn't for a spell, because I asked him, and he misheard a question where I was at Sky about being stabbed in the back, and he didn't like that. But he wrote the foreword. Now, he's the only captain of a football club that's ever sabotaged a pre-match press conference to have a go at the owner. So I phoned him on the off chance. It was a Russian owner called Vladimir Romanov, who, as we've mentioned in the book, George Burley was our manager, and they sacked him for being too good because he was getting all the praise instead of, of Vladimir Romanov. But Stephen Presley wrote the, the forward to the book, not given a toss that he would probably get fired, and he did. He got sacked by the football club because this, and he sabotaged a press conference. So I started off with an expose of a Russian submariner who's now on the run from Vladimir Putin. That's kind of <laughs> dangerous. Um, and I put the, the best thing in that was I put the PR guy and his assistant, I put their name and the thanks and the acknowledgements, knowing fine well there's no way they would send that over to Lithuania because their names appear in it and they'd be for the bullet as well. So then I calmed down a bit, did Gary's book, and then I did Stevie's book, which I thought that was it, not doing another one. And then Paul came around and, and I just, as I said to you, Rich, when I was on, part of me, I, I don't like having regrets. Part of me wished I'd done it earlier, but I don't know if I would have got what I got and the timing would have been very different and it, I don't know if it would have had the same impact or, or whatever. I think things happen for a reason and I'm just delighted that Paul's story is out there and can be read by both Ipswich fans and supporters of every other club he's played for and football fans and, and people in general because I'd so... So much fun writing it, but so emotional as well. And I'd be intrigued to know from, from the three of you, were you able to read it all the way through without your eyes welling up at certain parts? I'll get to Joe. Go on, Joe. Well, I was in a very tired state when I read it because I read it when I had COVID effectively, just <laughs> waiting. I'd sit there well, you were and super up... emotional then, Joe. Yeah, so I, I found the last bit quite difficult when you sort of read all the tributes through there because I was in a hotel with a half four flight the following morning trying to sleep and just couldn't sleep. And it was just like, I need to get to sleep, but I need to get this finished as well. But no, I, especially like I say, you see all the fans and sort of from people in the game, Ipswich fans and it all, it all linked through there, but it was just, a, I, I just found it really interesting. I've never sort of read a book like that where it's sort of weaved in and out between the author's voice and the Paul Mariner's voice in there. And, Obviously, that was the only way that it could be done, but it gave a really nice effect through it there. You could sort of see who was talking at which point, and it ended up 
almost like a fan's eulogy for a lot of it in, in parts of it as well there. So, no, I, I thought it was brilliant in that respect. Dave? It's, it was like, um, I, I found it, because I got it for Christmas, so it's a bit like a sort of a selection box when you, know, you got as a kid. So I'd finished it by 2.30 Christmas Christmas afternoon in time for my Christmas dinner. Um, no, it just brilliant. And, and you're right, I did. Uh, yeah, that the final bit, the, um, you know, the sort of the, uh, the tributes and stuff like that was... Um, was was tough and uh, just to to go back a bit we as you know we did a tribute to him on the um on the podcast and um when you yeah. do you remember when he passed rich you put the the video it's something that ben and myself did right a few years back when i was we were naming my favorite ever ipswich 11 and um yeah that was you know you put video and you put um you know words and words and music you put video and um music to it um so yeah on a similar sort of emotional level it was um yeah yeah he's, he was my hero, one of my certainly one of my biggest heroes growing up, you know, in my teenage years, really. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was a good emotional thing, yeah. I, from my perspective, as as someone disconnected, I I grew up watching kind of the match of the day special by John Watson of you know the history of the club and watching Mariner score goals, and you know I've got books and DVDs and VHS of all sorts, and you mm-hmm. kind of become. You, you become a supporter of the team of your era, but you, you know, particularly for a team like Ipswich, where the success is largely historic, you kind of yearn to find that history and to relive it and to experience it. And so that book, the book was so um, vivid in that respect of, of hearing it firsthand, having not experienced it myself. The one question I wanted to ask, and it was really powerful, Mark, was how the jigsaw of the book was put together from, um, obviously, Paul's words and then your words, but the quotes of others. I've not experienced uh, or seen that before in a book. I, it might be that I've not read enough books, probably. Which, But was that a conscious decision or was that a kind of a, a decision that just came about because of the consequences and the timing of writing it? Because I thought that was brilliant because you got a, th- a third-party perspective, but someone who was there and 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 was maybe experiencing the counter-opposite of what, what the, the kind of Paul's recollection of things was and i found that super powerful talk to us about that approach and how you how you came to that a lot of it was circumstantial uh, i had what i had to work with uh, i think i said to you i did 40 interviews um i also and i have to make an apology to, to ipswich fans to plymouth fans arsenal fans we probably got over a hundred submissions that, that i asked for on message boards and various other things and I've said thank you to them on those message boards. They were submitted at the end, um, and we wanted a tribute chapter, not just from... I mean, they were actually in the original uh, draft, and then Paul passed, and they had to be taken out because it was the tributes that had come in from the world of football and the world of sport that superseded them. So the, the jigsaw was... I think I probably got about 25,000 words that were just jiggery-pokery. It was just words that, that it, was a, it was a recording that had been transcribed. Um, so I had that from Brad. That was in 2010. So I was still missing the kind of 10 years since, that decade. But a lot of stuff wasn't covered as well, and a lot of it was covered in depth. So I had a lot about some things and not a lot about others. So... My dad was a detective inspector, so I think I got part of the kind of, let's see what I can do as a detective and fill in the gaps and fill in the holes. Because I want to read books and I want to to have a kind of journey. And with this one, it was very difficult for it not to be chronological. 
because it was an easy it was an easy write. Some books you think you can jump a little bit, and we we had talks me and the publisher about whether we do it present tense, whether we do it like this, whether we do it third person, or how we do it. The way that I submitted my copy was that anything from somebody that I had spoken to at Ipswich or um, anywhere else, I wrote that in bold, and they I think then put it in italics or or whatever in the book. So. It kind of came about the way it did, but I was cognizant of the fact this is how I wanted it to be. I wanted his voice to be the strongest voice in that. Um, and I, I, I wanted... Uh, and he, he said probably 75% of that. The other stuff has been from Warkey, from Butcher, from Mick Mills or, or whatever. And when I spoke to them, I said, would you mind for some of the stories that you're telling me, if I can retell some of them, because I want to tell them um, the way that you've told them. But if you're talking about Paul, then it's clearly happened. Like, for example, when the three Ipswich players reached the, the last, I mean, it was a, they, they, they were in the shortlist for player of the year, and they were all there. So Warkey's told me that story verbatim. And I'd said to them all, do you mind if I can take some of what you said, if it's involving Paul and it's clearly happened, and just put his words on that? They were all fine about that. So... That's why we've been able to use and weave this narrative of various others, but Paul and him having the strongest voice, but not throughout the book, his voice appearing. We wanted it to be, or I wanted it to be, Warkey, uh, Butcher, everything like that. Their kind of voice being the dominant voice. And even when Millsy was talking about um, trying to sign Paul for Stoke, hmm. I didn't know about that. And he went, to, he went to Portsmouth. So I learned a lot about this because this was my era growing up. My first Panini sticker album was like 84, 85, and Paul had, had already gone to Arsenal, so you're aware of them. Um, so I love learning about eras where I, I can tell you what happened in the 80s. I tell you all the FA Cup finals, probably until about 2006. I'm screwed after that. I don't know if it's a human trait that you your brain stores things that happened ages ago and then forgets stuff that happens more more recently, but that was the time. I love the 80s, and, and hopefully it's come across like that. Yeah, definitely. Joe, Dave, any bits that you want to um, pick out? or? I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's clear again, like everybody that worked under him, just the reverence that they have for Bobby Robson is just <clears> incredible, <throat> isn't it? Anyone seemingly that ever, you know, ever worked. And, and what was interesting, I've got Bobby Robson's book here, the, the, you know, how, how Robson mentions him. He must have been so proud, and I think that comes out in the book, mm. how Robson mentioned him in dispatches with Romario, Ronaldo, I think Lineker and Shearer as the best forwards he's ever, he's ever worked with. Just fantastic. That must have made him feel 10 feet tall, goodness me. Yep, yep. Joe? Well, yeah, it's just sort of similar to Dave on that side. And I think it was nice to hear the voice because I know sort of how much he still means to all the players from that era, how close they still are as well. And so sort of I see Walkie regularly at the football and when Mariners come over to them, you see them two together. They were just like back to their sort of 15-year-old selves, just having a giggle always, ready to go out, ready to go. And it's great that those guys were able to have their voice in the book as well rather than just they were able to give their view of what he was and just like I said, the, the man he was as well. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wes Burns running down the wing. 
NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Yeah. We we hung about Rich that after the uh, the Rotherham game just because Val Paul's partner who was with me that day wanted to catch up with with working and and his wife and that's the first time I met John um, and it's like oh you're both Scottish you you mean you've just meeting each other for the first time <laughs> you know what it's like and, and in the car park afterwards he, he said I've read this book three times already and I got it last week he says I've not been through it. I can't go through it without crying. This is a breakdown in different parts, different times. Butch was the same. Terry's had issues um, in his family life as well, um, some tra- some tragic issues. And when I first saw Terry, I mean, I, my dealings with Terry go way back when he was at uh, Dundee United doing bibs and cones, when he was manager at Hibs, and and his time up here in Scotland after playing for Rangers. I've known him. I've known him for a long time. And when I first saw him. I, I was a little bit emotional because he's finding he, he was finding it tough, and I'm sure he is. I mean, the, the loss of his son is is incomprehensible, and he was there with Keith Deller, and Deller said, Aye, we're, we're we're going to Butlins at the weekend." Terry's like, oh, "It's the first time I've been out of the house forever." He goes, "It's some bloody celebrity darts thing that he's got me into," he said. But there's beer, there's drink involved, and and. The one thing, and I'm not, I'm not telling tales out, out, out of school here. He must have stood with Val, Paul's partner, for 10 minutes. I didn't say a word. I was kind of withdrawn, but I wasn't earwigging because I was part of the conversation, but I was there. And he spoke about 10 minutes about the loss of someone really close to you. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I'm just chatting with Terry, and he said, that's the first time that I've, I've been able to do that out with my, my, my wife, Rita, and he said that was that was really cathartic for him because he knows what Val's lost. He's lost the same, but he's also lost a friend. So I just when I first saw him that that day in the in the the, the players' lounge, I kind of thought, wow, he's we're all getting older, but he's not this imposing 
young member in the European gave away, I think it was in Germany or, or whatever it was with a bandage and um, he, he scored the goal as well, uh, possibly against Cologne, I think it was, excuse my, my lack of information. And he was this kind of fearless guy, the guy against Sweden that got the head bandage covered in blood and, and the leader and he's, he's just, he's getting older and I'm glad that the look that was in his eye when he first came in, for me, wasn't the look that when he left, because he had that chat and he was able to, to talk fondly about the good times. And he's just such a, a nice guy. And, and you, you look at someone and you make your mind up about someone. You have no idea what's going on behind closed doors with people. So it's nice to be nice. You don't need to be nasty. Yeah, I, I, I would end the podcast on that statement alone, Mark, because it's something that we talk about routinely now, isn't it? In 2022, you know, the era of social media where we're so connected, but not. Um, and I, I guess that le it, it, there's definitely a sense of this team that is still around Ipswich. You know, Joe's involved in a lot of the match day stuff behind the scenes. And obviously Dave and I and all of us attend matches. You bump into players around town and around the ground. It just I'd just be interested to get your your kind of sense now you've been to the club and seen the statues and seen you know mm -hmm. there, there is it is sadly a club which you know has had some excellent days in the past and is trying to get desperately back to that and isn't at that level yet and hopefully under Kieran McKenna those days will return but just your reflection of Ipswich as a as a power of that era and, that, and of that team were you, were you able to, as a neutral to give any credence to the view that certainly we have that you know this is a big club still even in 2022 mm -hmm. it can be both a help and a hindrance and i'm going to compare ipswich with aberdeen aberdeen being the team that beat ipswich um after ipswich i think it was the first round of the year after you won the uefa cup or the, the season after and and fergie was manager up there and, and they turned you over. Now, they've not won this, the Scottish Cup since 1990. They were kind of, they, they won the league under Fergie in, in 1985. So it's of a similar vintage because Ipswich winning the FA Cup in, in 78 and the UEFA Cup in, in 81. There is an era of football fans for that football club, whether it's Aberdeen or Ipswich, that still kind of feel that that's where they should be. To bring it more up to date, it's like Man United fans who are maybe in their 30s and all they knew growing up was success and it's now suddenly you're just another team and you're not one of the, the better teams. You might be top four. So when I was at Ipswich, I, I, I love the fact it's a one-club town, a one-club city, and everyone gets behind it. Look at all the things on your wall behind you right now. You've got to take that and you've got to, you, you've got to think to yourself, you know what, I've got a friend who's a Mansfield fan. They can talk about a Simod Cup final. <laughs> and they've got newspapers from that, right? They don't have UEFA Cup wins and glory days and potential FA Cup, FA Cup wins and nearly winning the double um, back then. So it, it allows you to... That's the kind of hindrance. That can be the noose around the neck. However, it also sets a bar for you to try and get back to. And there's, for me, the similarities between Ipswich and Leeds or Ipswich and Sheffield Wednesday or Ipswich and Blackburn Rovers. And I know Ipswich are kind of a tier below right now. But I was saddened when I went to that. I love being there and I love meeting everyone there. But I, I thought if, you'd, if you still had him in charge, you could probably still be playing and you probably wouldn't have scored. 
because Rotherham had you that night, and it was sad because I was expecting a swashbuckling, let's get up and at them, and it just it didn't mark. exist. It was, yeah. <laughs> well, but but you you've got to have that. I'm a Hearts fan, and and we we lost to Dundee, the bottom team, and we're we're doing well right now. We're third in the table. We're through the quarterfinal of this of the Scottish Cup. Yet there's still fans when the bar is kind of raised whether it's a glass ceiling or whatever, the expectations go with that. So I don't think you as Ipswich fans will get much lower than, than the football that you played against Rotherham and how far you went. And sometimes you, I think you appreciate it more. And it'll be interesting to get Dave's take on this because he's seen more of Ipswich than, than either of, of, of you two. He, he knows what that is like. You might never get back there, but I hope you do. But because you've been there, hopefully you know what it takes and we just need this American pension firm to let you guys get on with your owners I believe they are let you guys get on with with what they're doing hopefully hire the right people because everybody that I met would do anything for the football club when I was back there the fans what a turnout my god it was a Tuesday night a freezing cold Tuesday night and you you still got nearly uh, I don't know how many were there I think it was like 17 or or 18,000 well, t- 20,000, more than 20,000. Yeah, we ran it up. A midweek game. So I, I think I'd love to see you back. But the problem now is you've got Sheffield Wednesday. You've got all these big clubs. Look how long it took Leeds to get back to where you are. Do you have patience? Can you get there? I hope you can. Yeah. Um, just a few um, bits of housekeeping and stuff like that. We'll do a final flourish. Michael, I'm in the... Question, uh, in the chat i see your question we are coming to you by the way um we are we are still live on facebook on twitter on youtube um now is the time if you've got a question or any bit of um feedback or observations from the book for mark um give you your um your um honest opinions and that kind of stuff and um, get them in the chat now because we'll, we'll finish with those and then um do a little bit of summing up but worth mentioning other bits and pieces on the channel. Um, Blue Monday, itfc.co.uk, all the bits and pieces of, of all of our shows, um, all of our pod feeds, our video feed, our socials, all that kind of great stuff. Blue Monday, itfc.co.uk. In terms of shows coming up, Friday AM, um, the pre-match show for Burton will be out. Um, Gavin Barber from the Turnstar Blues fanzine will be joining us. They've got a new edition out on the weekend, um, so worth a look out for that. Flagship show is back on Monday as usual. And um, Ben, Craig, and one of Joe or Dave, there'll be an arm wrestle or some kind of scrap to decide who gets to sit in the in the third chair on Sunday. Mm. And also, finally, um, a big week coming up for ITFC women, their fifth round FA Cup tie against Southampton. We've got an interview with Lucy O'Brien, who's sponsored by the channel and some of our subscribers. Really fantastic interview with her. Really great to hear another eloquent, really driven, determined member of that squad. So do get, give that um, interview some of your time. And we've got plenty of stuff coming up um, in advance of um, the Southampton game on the Sunday and I think we've got Ch- Cheltenham Tuesday. Um, so no doubt we'll be doing some stuff around the Cheltenham match as well. So as I said, bluemondayitfc.co.uk for all the stuff you need on that. Um, yeah, I need to say thank you to Andrew. Thank you to Stephen. Thank you to Elliot um, for the thumbs up. If you're on Facebook or on YouTube, give us a thumbs up. Give us a subscribe as well. Um, we want to do more of these. Um, if you've got any ideas for books and we'll come to Mark, that'll be my final question for you, Mark, before we leave, um, is a recommendation for a book for us to cover here. Um, and it doesn't have to be interesting, stand, so don't worry about that. I'll give you give you some thinking time for that. You can fry that one in the think walk. Um, 
uh, um, get that in the comments. Um, that's my yeah. Um, and we'll um, hopefully do a few of these um, and um, any suggestions, ITFC or otherwise, football related, obviously. But um, really keen to hear from that. So um, yeah, get involved. Um, I'll come to Michael's question, um, Mark, and this is this might be a bit of a tough one. Bit of a heads up on this one, um, but it's a really um, yeah, a really good question. What do you think Paul would say about the book and the reaction that he's got? Mm, what a good question. He'd, he'd probably find fault with himself about something um, and, and moan about how he wished he'd done something better. But I think, I, I think he'd be really humbled and really honoured by the comments about him from other people because... <sighs> I always find it kind of sad in a way that people only talk about others once they've passed and, and eulogize about them. And I think it'd be lovely if, if there was a way, and, and I think someone did that over here, in a kind of this is your life way, whereby you kind of know what everyone thinks of you before you go. I don't know how, how that's possible. That's a fake your own death. <laughs> what are we, 41 minutes and 50 seconds into this <laughs> podcast, and now it gets interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think, he'd be, I think he'd, be, he'd be humbled. He just loved looking back. I mean, it was, it was really nice. After I went back down to London, having been in Ipswich, I got to meet his son, George. And, and obviously, I met Val at Ipswich. And he was just so proud of that. And it... He was so proud of his family and so proud of the achievements of, of the boys. And it was always so proud of everybody else. And, and he would probably be shy. He'd probably be like, oh, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to read it um, because there's too much nice stuff about me in there. Cause he's always, he was always thinking about everybody else. Um, he's probably up there just now listening to this right now. Well, for a start, he, he would need someone up there to push the button. <laughs> to find Blue Monday podcast for him because, um, hey, oh, honestly, the amount of times that he'd come, I can't log in. This is from her at work. I was like, is your password still bolting backwards? Oh, I don't change it. So it's not mob, and then it was some some numbers. Um, so he's like, can you can you log this in for me? So if he's watching this Blue Monday podcast live, then he's obviously got help from someone um, to be able to do that. But just to reminisce, he loved to reminisce about his time. But he'd hand out his tops. There are friends that have got his, his strips um, all over the place. People that were close to him, he, he, he would give things to. So I, I, I think he'd be pretty proud of, of the life that he lived. We all make mistakes. You show me someone who's never made a mistake, I'll show you a liar. They don't exist. I think he'd be proud of his achievements, proud of the legacy that, that he has left and the memories that, that he made for Ipswich fans and for fans of every other club that he played with, because he yeah. was a top, top guy. It's a great shout. And, and we've got, and Dave has done, I mean, if um, for Ipswich fans out there, and, and um, Dave and Ben, um, when our channel kicked off back in 2015, did some really great um, career profiles. And the sad thing is, Dave, isn't it? A couple of them, uh, you know, we, I, I, the Kevin Finch, um, Kevin Beatty book I shared with you, Mark, and we'll maybe have a chat afterwards about whether you had a chance to look at that. But two of those profiles now have have come into extra significance because someone because they passed away, isn't it? But that stuff is out there, and that's our job, maybe as 
as a podcast channel is to shed light on some of these guys and and their great careers some 30 40 years on isn't it and, and hopefully while they're still here to hear exactly, it as well because no, exactly. i'm sure that a lot of those guys you question your mortality when your friends die don't you and yeah. sort of be and obviously had his problems and i don't think it was without saying it, it wasn't like the biggest shock that he was one of the first to go because he'd he'd had his struggles over the years but i think when paul who was the sort of the big the ox at the front of it the the big guy the strong man the one that did it i think sort of once he's succumbed to his battle i think it must really scare some of these other guys and hopefully it helps them make the most of what they've done and helps the fans make the most and make sure they tell them while they're here how great they were and how much they were loved by the club and the people of the town do you, do you yeah. know i think also that was that whole era under the cobalt it was such a unique uh, they call it you know bobby robson in his book they call it the last of the corinthians and i honestly think it was like that um you know and another yeah, as rich knows this um I, I did an interview with Ray Crawford, Ipswich is all-time record goal scorer. He's 86 now. I spoke to him last Friday, at a, just just ringing him up on the off chance he's coming down to Ipswich. Could we meet up when Portsmouth come down to Ipswich next? Come up to Ipswich next month, and um, you just start just start up a conversation. Half an hour later, he's still he's still going, and, and you know, remember about his times at Ipswich. What a great club it was. What a great club it still is, and uh, you know, the whole the whole era under the Cobalt. I think under the Cobalt, I think it was just a, a just well, obviously from a success point of view, a fantastic era for the club, but just a, well, you will never see it at another club ever again. Never, ever. Yeah. Just unique, unique, completely unique. A few more comments. Um, Michael, um, with Paul on the pitch, we would not have gone through a game <laughs> with no shots on target, as in with Rotherham. Um, and many other games of the more modern era. That's a um, definitely that's, a, a that's an interesting one, Rich. I, I, can I pick up on that one? Because I know I was sitting beside Val at the Rotherham game. Ideally, I would have been there with Paul. And I just wonder, because that would have been the first thing I would have asked him at halftime. What's this all about? And what would you have done if you were whoever your strikers were that day? Because it's easy to say the strikers didn't have a good game. But the service was non-existent. Michael's talking about not having shots on target. And I don't know. I mean, Paul at the time played as part of a front two or played just off as a link player, um, whether it was Trevor Weimark, whether it was Alan Brazil, whoever it was at Ipswich. But I would love to have sat beside Paul at that game and, and kind of said to him, you think you would have made an impact today? Or is it a case of if you don't give anybody the ball, then how, how you... I, I take it your football's better now. Um mm. But still, yeah, yeah, chance creation still something we've been talking about of late. Um, but yeah, it's it will come. It will come with um, more tactical. Yeah, go on, Dave, sorry. Also, slightly in our defence, Rotherham have gone on to sort of bigger and better things. They're now, what, eight points clear no, at the top, are they now? You're right. We did kind of, Mark's dead right. That, that, that evening we rolled over, didn't we, basically? Totally rolled over. Yeah. The, one, the one thing I would say, Dave, is the, the following night, uh, <laughs> I went to see like an hour of Fulham against uh, Derby they were playing and that was on the Wednesday night and then I went to a Deacon Blue gig but that's another stuff uh, please don't judge me on that, on that because it was just up, yeah. it was just up the road what I noticed was I watch a lot of Premier League football because I report on it for ESPN yeah, yeah. over here among other yeah. leagues as well and the, stand, the standard Dave of, of Premier League on the whole is really good but seeing it up close and personal Fulham Fulham will fit in perfectly. They'll not be the ones that will go out. If Mitrovic continues the way he's going, and he didn't play that night against Derby, and it was a nil-nil draw, but the, the quality of their football, how quickly it was zipped around, 
Rotherham the night before played some good stuff. And they'll probably be fine in the championship, assuming that, that they go up. But I don't think they're anywhere near the level required. I think there's a bigger gulf between Huge. the championship and League One Huge. than there is between the Premier League and the championship. It's We've massive. all said that. We've all said that on the podcast before, haven't we? Absolutely. Do you know what? I, I just had a thought. I was trying to compare. When we spoke earlier about where Paul had come from and his background, the only player I can think of, and I think this is a really good fit in the modern game, is Jamie Vardy. Exactly the same path almost. Yeah. Exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, and, and, and understanding where you've come from and having yeah. to work that work ethos, the ethic yeah. of, of kind of knowing you ain't getting anything handed to you if you're at Fleetwood Absolutely. like Jamie Vardy was. I, it's luck as well. You need the fortune. Yeah. You need good luck to to yeah. get there. And and that question on the on the screen Ooh. right now, um, <laughs> a lot of people that I spoke to said he was very similar the way that he played to the way that Harry Kane plays these Kane, days yeah. in that. He drops a little bit deeper, uh, Harry Kane now, and gets more involved, more of a link player. I mean, Man United, he'd walk into to, to that team. Um, but Liverpool's a really interesting one. Um, it's in the book, and I'm trying to think who it was that gave me the quote about the rock and roll. I think it was Terry. Terry Butcher gave me the quote about him being the perfect foil for Trent Alexander-Arnold, for Andrew Robertson for Mane on one side, for Salah on the other. If you had Paul Mariner in the middle there, he would, and, and I agree with Terry on this, Terry thought he would have the same impact at Liverpool with that support that Erling Haaland is having right now at Borussia Dortmund, wow. just with the service. Because the chance creation is, and, and a few of your, your, uh, your listeners or your viewers have been pointing that out, how do we score goals if we don't create chances? But Paul Mariner in a side like Liverpool that are going to create 20 chances a game, how much would he be worth if he took the majority of them? Oh, goodness me. When, when I look at the... Obviously, I didn't watch full games. It's the highlights, bits like that. To me, the sort of... Obviously, he's not that modern now, but it's it's that Didier Drogba, isn't it? The guy just just ultimately can leave the line and bring everyone into play and, <laughs> touch and sort of be so hard and can battle two defenders on his own back in the day when you would normally have two up front, really, wasn't it? But... And and yeah, I know it's an, it's a really old fashioned thing to say. And back then, you know, some of the challenges he could he took back then. There's a really good bit in the book, Mark, that he mentions about he gave Tommy Smith a ping early early in one of his games at Enfield. And is it Walkie or someone runs back yes, saying stay there, son? He said, "What do you mean?" He said, "You'll find out." And yeah, two minutes later, bang, knees in the back, and uh-huh. the, you know, butt in the back of the head. I mean, back then it was fearful the treatment these strikers mm-hmm. got and. Like I said, you just have to look at his appearance record pretty much season in, season out. You know, physic, on a physicality basis, he could compete with anybody. He, he was just, honestly, the complete... And I'm not just saying that, the complete centre-forward. He had everything, really everything. Dave, you, um, in the profile, did you... I'm trying to remember, you compared him, didn't you, with modern-day footballers? Or was that... Is that I think we said Drogba. Do you remember, I, was, I, I was trying to compare him and, and Ben said... And Ben said Drogba, yeah. Do you know what? Mitrovic is, you mentioned Mitrovic. When I thought that's where you were mm-hmm. going with that when you said you went to Fulham and Mitrovic. I didn't realise he obviously wasn't playing that evening. But yeah, just just uh, such a good touch. Either foot, left foot, right foot, predominantly right foot, but such a good touch, but strong and used his, uh, yeah, well, yeah. Drogba's a really good, uh, we couldn't get past that. When, when Ben and myself did that about five, six seasons ago, yeah, at the time we couldn't get past Drogba. And, a very, and I think I said, yeah, maybe in this day and age, Drogba is perhaps more, more mobile, perhaps more athletic. I mean, that just comes with the game these days. But as a player, 
very, very similar, all, all, the, all the same attributes. Mitrovic is an interesting one because the first time Fulham went up when he was there, he didn't start well. He, he, he struggled a little bit, whether it was injury or form, and, and Fulham didn't play well. I think Scott Parker was in charge, maybe even before that. So it just shows you that there are, you, you might have levels. You might be too good. It's like certain clubs, the yo-yo clubs. They might be too good for the league that they keep coming up from, but not quite good enough to stay up. It's the same with players at levels. But what Paul had was an ability, whether it was non-league, whether it was semi-amateur, a semi-amateur, semi-pro. The semi-amateur, the same as semi-pro. There's another one. That's something for <laughs> you. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, different levels. He, 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 and even when he made his debut against Luxembourg um, and just kept going, and he needed a bit of luck as well because I think he had scored a goal for Ipswich on his comeback in front of Ron Greenwood, who took England to the World Cup. And it was the only kind of goal he'd scored for weeks after coming back from that injury. But Ron Greenwood was there and included him in the squad. And he was on this streak of, of goal-scoring mm. form for England as well. So I, I just wondered, I never got the chance to ask Paul a lot of things, and I would have loved to have asked him, but he would have been, what age? 86, 34? 30. I just wonder if he'd continued the form and the, the fitness regime that we've spoken about, if he might have been in contention, because he played, this is the whole thing, he played in some of the qualifiers. Yeah. Yeah, well, because for, for, he was still at Arsenal, um, yeah. and obviously the, his age had started with a three. I just wonder if he'd maintained that fitness regime, if he might have had a wee sneak of being part of the squad. For, I, know, I know Lineker was coming through, and he had some really good players around then, but it would have been nice to ask him, if I'd had the chance, um, if he thought his best, even at his age starting with a three, could have got him in the England squad for 86. Not to play necessarily, but to be part of the travelling squad. It's really good because we mentioned him earlier and we've often spoken about that, like Kevin Beattie retires, what well, effectively retires top-level football in 1981. He's 27. So, you know, 1986, he's only going to be 33. My goodness me, it's right. yeah, fright yeah. Mm. what could have been, you know? And then when, obviously, we, we spoke to George Burley a couple of weeks ago on the pod, and he talks about how he went, and he was the first player to come back from the ACL and yeah. had basically two years out of the game and sort of worked so hard on his fitness and still is, and still is as fit as a flea as you see him now, whether Beatty and uh, Mariner had the same ethics with regards to getting fit as Burley had, what, what they could have had in the game, because Burley left Ipswich sort of almost broken, it seems, and still played another two or 300 games up at Sunderland, didn't he, after he <laughs> left? Yeah. yeah. Um, we'll do a final flourish here. If you've got any final comments or remarks, now's the time. Um, Spannerman, thank you so much for... Um, Spannerman's a Sunderland fan, by the way, um, Mark. So we oh, get cool. supporters of all clubs here. So um, thank you for your question and observation there. Um, I'll, I'll go around the group and you can give us your final thoughts Mark we'll end with you and your football book recommendation um, for next time but yeah Joe well just thanks to Mark for being able to put this book together just for us younger fans who weren't able to be there and live through the era and be as lucky as Dave was to do it to do so so just just thank you for making us realise how great our club was back in the day and hopefully we can get back there one day <laughs> yeah Dave yeah, and, and on a similar vein to me, but a bit, a bit more. You know, thanks for you know, being able to relive those um, unbelievable memories. And I think just quickly to sum up, and I think you touched on it before, Rich. It was a feeling whenever I get together with my pals and old school pals, and we, you know, the games we went, we can remember the 
clearly the games he went to in 80-81 season and even the cup even the cup 78 right through and it's always a feeling that we just took it for granted season in season out we just mm. took it for granted and um Look, let's let's just hope that one day, uh, maybe I won't be here soon, but let's hope that you know we we one day we get back there. But no, Mark, thanks, brilliant, absolutely fantastic, and just rekindled some brilliant memories. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and and from my perspective, I think this is one of the um, football books that I've just rattled through the quickest. I, I like the other guys. I just once you start, it's very difficult to stop. Particularly the the Ipswich era, I just devoured, and possibly in one sitting because. It's just so exciting to be able to relive that. So, you know, that's that's a legacy possibly that maybe you might not be able to comprehend, Mark, is, is being part of this book. And obviously this a lot of this is is Paul's words and, and his legacy, obviously. But you've got such a massive role in in bringing that to us. And, and hopefully lots of other Ipswich fans of a younger era will be able to read it and understand it as well and appreciate it as much as those who knew the player and maybe saw him at the time. So, again, I think I said it previously when we spoke thank you for that um and thank you for for keeping those memories alive um tell us where we can find you on twitter and and we'll end with um your book recommendation for us as well sure twitter at donaldson espn and please forgive in advance the uh constant hearts chatter um i do a weekly podcast as well and tell us about uh, that had george ah, on. Okay. yeah it's called it's called it's called scarves around the funnel um, it's to do with the European song that hearts have to the tune of my way we'll go afloat on some big boat and tie our scarves around the funnel as part of the lyrics um, right. but it's not really been updated the hearts songs or that particular version since the 80s we have no cares for other players like Rossi, Boniek, or Tardelli. And I think, <laughs> hold on a minute here. Wow. This, this, this really wow. needs an update. That's so fantastic. that's why, yeah, it is. So yeah, we're in third right now. We've got a decent chance of, because the Celtic and Rangers have been doing really well in Europe, um, we've got a decent chance next season of, of playing uh, group stage football. So hopefully we can. Weekly podcast, we've got some decent guests. George Burley's been on. Um, we we have we had Ken Stott on. He's a big Jambo, a big yeah. Hearts fan. Um, talking about how Hearts were playing Hibs in the Cup Final in 2012, and we we, we beat them five one. Um, and he was filming The Hobbit in New Zealand, and he he had to, he was told to keep the noise down by various. I mean that cast is something <laughs> else. So him and Billy Connolly at two a.m. were watching Hearts Hibs pished. Uh, in the middle of the night in uh, Dunedin, I think it was. It was certainly filmed somewhere down there. So we, we have loads of, of, of kind of things um, to do. Like tomorrow, for example, we used to do a thing called football homework. Uh, so we asked the fans for to do homework and get in touch. So I had this weird-ass dream last night about um, commentating on a game, showing up early, and the commentary started half an hour before the game even kicked off. And one of the players ended up disappearing from the warm-up to bake a sponge cake. It just it got nuts, right? But this is a former player who's now retired. He's now going out with a friend of mine. And that was the first picture I saw on Instagram when I put Instagram. Honestly, it blew my... So I told her. Anyway, so football dreams for, for homework. I don't know if you do that on Blue Monday. I haven't really gone off too much on a tangent today. I'm leaving that till, till right now. I apologize for that ridiculous way to, to, to end. But you know what? He's upstairs right now, somehow tuned in because someone up there has lit man on our 
access this broad and he's probably having a chuckle right now about that daft story. So here's my books. This is a Scottish it's a Scottish he writes about Scottish football. I think he's an English guy, but he's absolutely brilliant. And they're tiny little books. Um they're probably A five or A six size. His name yes. is Daniel uh, Gray. Yeah. I've got what the um, Saturday three pm one from the um, bookshelf behind when me. Saturday comes he writes when Saturday comes isn't it yeah isn't it uh, yes. yes looks like so it. he's got I didn't realise he's just done a third one called Extra Time so I've got Saturday three pm so they're little vignette stories it's not like a all the way through it's little memories of when you used to go to football back in the day with your mum or dad and they right. took you there and what happened back then so Saturday three pm black boots and football pinks or the greenin which I loved writing about when Ian Gillen used to light one end, stick it up his arse and run around that to make sure he got another beer. Goodness. Um, and Extra Time is, is his latest one. That's what I will, I will leave you with. Rather than kind of players baking sponge cakes during warm-ups as part of a dream. So, yeah, that's, that's Scars Around the Funnel, our podcast, and we, we film it tomorrow. But I love listening to your content as well on, uh, on Blue Monday and... It's weird. I've got like three or four different clubs that I follow just because of whatever reason. Ipswich have been added to that. And I just, I, I really hope you get back into the championship. And then, look, then, then you see what happens because you don't want to be in a graveyard that is League One. Ask Sunderland about that. I'd love them to get up and I'd love Ipswich to get up. Just get your finger out and, and, and start creating chances for your strikers to score goals. Exactly. Huh? Because right. I don't know them. We'll invite <laughs> you back and we'll do a proper game. Um, and maybe that will be a level up as well. Um, thank you, everyone who's joined us, who got involved in the chat. Um, Joe, Dave, great to chat with you as well. Um, but Mark, um, once again, Paul Mariner, my rock and roll football story, available in all the places you get books from. Um, get involved in that. And um, Mark, once again, thank you so much on behalf of um, the podcast and Ipswich fans everywhere. And thank you to you three as well for for taking time this afternoon to to kind of go over that and, and reading it and giving your feedback. But one thing I would say, if possible, please, if you have read it, even if you didn't get it on Amazon, please leave a review because there's one dickhead who's left a nasty comment among all other ones, and he's probably not even read it. He probably doesn't even exist or he's a real person. So just make sure that you leave a, a, a review. I don't care, just an honest review because this person, I'm not hat. And why is it among all the reviews that is one that gets to you? It's the one that's, hmm, he hasn't read that or written that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on my soapbox. It, it's all right. So leave a review on Amazon and um, and hopefully push this guy further down so no one sees his his comment. I'm off to write an Amazon review. Um, <laughs> yeah. And if you want, give us a five star review on on your podcast app of choice as well. Why not? Um, Mark, great to chat. Thank you so much. And um, thanks. Guys. No doubt, speak soon. I'm sure. Take care. Thanks, Joe. Cheers, Dave. Thanks, Rich. Cheers, Mark. Thanks, man. Cheers, Mark. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116-123.
That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping. But in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurant. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.